Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the Fightful.com podcast, November 6th edition, brought to you by DraftBeast.com. Head over to DraftBeast for the most fun you will ever have playing fantasy sports. I do have the NFL on a screen to my left. No Bengals game today. But I am still involved in these fantasy football games. Head over to our podcast page, Fightful.com slash podcast. Open up any of our pages, and you will see that on it link. You can use supplements used by Donald Cerrone, by WWE stars Bailey, Triple H, Cesaro, Seth Rollins, everybody. Great equipment, apparel, stuff like that. Supplements, all that good stuff. I am joined by Showdown Joe. Joe, you were on the road a little bit this weekend. Yeah, I spent some time, uh, first of all, good afternoon to you, Sean, everybody uh, tuning in right now. I was on the road uh, doing some family stuff. Uh, a friend of mine, very close friend of mine, one of my oldest friends when we were teenagers, uh, his mom actually passed away last week. Uh, he's This guy's been going through some some stuff. His wife passed away three years ago from cancer. His mom passed away from cancer. So we decided, you know what, road trip with the kids. Let's head out to Niagara Falls, Great Wolf Lodge, have a great time. Uh, but they all know full well that despite everything that we're doing, there's a UFC event on, and Uncle Joe best to watch the UFC and or and trying to get you, um, you know, an American to understand what it's like being a UFC fan in Canada. To say it's a challenge would be the understatement of the year. I'll, I'll, I'll preface this real quick by saying uh, I started watching the prelims on Fight Pass on my computer while everybody else was at another room, uh, and then I noticed that we could probably. You know, I, could, I could hang out with them in between fights and, and converse, but still watch the fights. I brought my laptop all the way over to their suite on the opposite side of Great Wolf Lodge. Uh, kids were getting tired, Sean. All right, let's get everyone back to the rooms and decide to go back to the room because the, the televised broadcast was going to start. So I'm in a hotel. Remember, I'm not at home uh, with what you guys call a, a digital box or a DVR. We call them PVRs or digital boxes here. I'm watching the fights. There's there's two channels that the UFC that the the, the company that the UFC the, the broadcasting partner in Canada uh, has five channels, two of which were in the hotel. Here I am watching the Benil uh, Dariush fight. First round comes to an end. Uh, they go to commercial. They come back to the beginning of the soccer game that happened with Toronto FC. The, 
earlier in the week, like Tuesday or Wednesday. They're <laughs> now showing the soccer game, the beginning. Like the, the players are coming onto the pitch, and I'm like, what just happened here? Like I'm, I'm trying to get to the second round. I'm watching these fights. I start scrambling in the hotel room, changing the channel, changing the channel, trying to find out where it is. It's nowhere to be found. I then go, you know what? I'm just going to go to their website because they should be streaming it. Trying to get the link to work took about 25 minutes. When I finally got to the 25 minutes, it was nothing but buffering. Then I try and find out, okay, can I, can I watch it on my phone? My son wants to, to chill out with me. So here I am trying to watch it on my phone like this. I can't watch it on my computer. I'm watching it on my phone. It starts buffering. Okay, no problem. You know what? Uh, I'm not going to see Sean till about 1 o'clock Eastern. Um, I'll just wake up in the morning and, and watch it in the morning. Sean, I wake up this morning, 6 a.m., just so I can catch up with the fights before we have to wake up and go for breakfast. I get onto UFC Fight Pass, and it's blocked out. It's geoblock saying it's blacked out because the rights to the programming are with the <laughs> UFC broadcast partner, so you cannot watch the fight. So I'm. this is my job, Sean. This is my job. I have to watch these fights so I can talk to you and break them down and analyze them and, and recap them and move forward talking about previews. I can't do that. How in God's name can a UFC fan in Canada watch these things if they're ever, God forbid, on a holiday with their family? They can't. They just can't. It's it's impossible. It was never like this. I can assure you, the station that I worked for, it was never like this, Sean. You can watch these fights anywhere and everywhere. Yet, how long have we heard all the time, don't you dare go to illegal streaming websites and don't you dare try and watch the fights after the event without going to UFC Fight Pass? Dude, I tried. I tried on numerous occasions to try and watch these fights. It's safe to say I did watch them, uh, but they weren't on UFC Fight Pass. Nice. Now, that's a problem that a lot of casual fans out here I've seen have had because they never know if something's on pay-per-view, Fox, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, Fuel, G4, YouTube, Facebook, Fight Pass, uh, Ion, all these channels that – versus all these channels they've been on over the last last few years, Spike even, like 14, 15 different channels have shown UFC fights – uh, over the last few years, that's it's a little ridiculous. But we, we've got a lot to talk about: UFC, Bellator, the Pacquiao fight. A pro wrestler got his ass kicked. We'll start a little bit with Bellator, mainly because they looked like they had a good card coming up Friday, and it was it was a very fun card to watch. It was a very fun card to watch. Marlous Kuhn and that poor woman can't catch a break. Her opponent shows up five, six pounds overweight. They can the fight. Paul Daly has issues with the weight cut. His fights can. That's that's not good. That This was an all-time terrible weekend for weight cutting in MMA. It's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, the fact that, that both... You know, Kuhn's opponent and, and Daly had those issues. Obviously, Charles Oliveira and others, it's it's... I don't know. I mean, we, we've gone or I've gone on, I guess, mild tangents before. And at this point, it's like, well, what else can you say? What else can you do? It's like you're contracted. You signed a deal contract to make that weight. Um, there, there's got to be some sort of, of different penalties other than, than 15%, 10%, or 20% of a purse. Like what they did with Oliveira, obviously having to weigh in at 165 the day of the fight. 
that I guess you can make that somewhat fair, but it's it's I don't know. I mean, what, what else are we supposed to do? I'm sure there's other solutions that that the ABC can probably try and instill. But you know, Bellator had an opportunity here to really showcase some some serious. Um, they did showcase some talent, but you know, like you said, Kunin gets the raw end of the stick here. Uh, very unfortunate for her, but you know, Bellator had this opportunity. It's, it, is it really Bellator's fault? You know, it's it's the fighters, right? So. Uh, it, it's one of those things, those conundrums that we still face in MMA that, you know, just it's just got to be corrected some way, somehow. Speaking of heavyweight MMA, as we say, it's not even worth predicting anymore. Javi Ayala knocked out Sergey Karatanov, who probably still a top 15 heavyweight in the world, in 16 seconds. And you couldn't find a nicer guy than Javi Ayala at the post-fight presser, after the fight. He was just overjoyed. Uh, it was good to see that, and you got oh, man. I think Karatanov led with a, a left hook, which you don't really do, you really shouldn't do, and Ayala made him pay for it. But that's a big win, especially considering Bellator is getting that heavyweight division rolling, Joe. Yeah, it's a huge win. I mean, uh, it, it's funny how the heavyweight division always, you know, people may not have respect for it or people say there's not enough talent. I, I, I mean, th- this reminds me, um, the radio show I had a while ago when the Strike Force Grand Prix was going on, and I remember joking with my, my then co-host at the time, and we said, can you imagine this Daniel Cormier guy ends up winning An this alternate. thing? Yep. An alternate. Can you imagine? No, it'll never happen. He just doesn't have the skill set. He's just, he's just doesn't. He's green or whatever. Imagine he wins this thing. Well, he ends up winning it, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, eventually goes to the UFC, and you know, he could potentially be the heavyweight champ of the world. Becomes the light heavyweight champ, obviously by default with John Jones. But you know, you just never know when these these stars can happen. And, and with the, the way the way Karnatanov goes down in 16 seconds, I mean, it's MMA, man. Especially that heavyweight division. You're, I mean, Anik and, and Stan made a good point on the broadcast at one point. Uh, talking about the lightweight division, saying you know you you lose once at 155 pounds, you could put you can you know push yourself back um, or fall back two years before you get a title shot. Not so much in the heavyweight division. You have a couple of good nope. wins there. You never know what can happen. That's absolutely true, especially in the Bellator heavyweight division because they just really have Lashley, Mitrione, Karatanov, and I'm trying to think of who else. Um, King Mo will probably fight it in heavyweight again. <laughs> Check Congo. And you never know what's up with Minikov. You never know what's up with him, if he'll ever come back to the to, to Bellator. So that's, that's a big win for Javi Ayala. And, yeah, big win. Good for him. Also, the bets that they, they hedged on Ed Ruth and Tyrell Fortune, those both paid off at least on Friday. Both got very quick wins. Tyrell Fortune, a heavyweight. And – both looked good and both had their fights shown on the, the main broadcast. So, so good for them. Also on the show, Brennan Ward and Syed Awad had an awesome fight. Brennan Ward looks like he's uh, landed a spot against Paul Daly uh, at, on a future show. But the big fight of the show, Phil Davis just big brothered Liam McGeary. Now, I'll tell you what was weird, Joe, seeing anybody in the cage that looked bigger than Phil Davis. Because Damn, Lee! I didn't realize how huge of a light heavyweight Liam McGeary was until until Friday night. Well, I remember seeing with uh, you know when he was standing next to Tito. I'm like, this dude's big. This dude's a monster. Yeah. Uh, cutting down to 205, uh, you know, maybe isn't that much of a challenge for him. It, it probably is, but he is a big human being. But Phil Davis, man. 
whew, like I mean, it just it, it, it whatever happened with him in the UFC career, he just couldn't cut that top three or top five, whatever. But he's he's just you know not looking fantastic, but he's looking damn good. How's that? There you go, uh, Liam McGeary, six foot six with an eighty-one inch reach. A little, and also something that people don't realize, he's actually he's a couple years older than Phil Davis. Like, people don't realize that. He's a 34-year-old guy, so he might not be at his peak anymore. And it's a shame that they didn't have a lot of top-flight light heavyweight talent for that. Now, here's my big problem with Bellator, Joe. They have a real issue building and keeping homegrown talent. That's always been a problem. But over the last month, they cut Emmanuel Newton and Brandon Halsey. A couple of their former champions... Emmanuel Newton, who's responsible for arguably, you could say, the most famous moment in Bellator history in the spinning back fist KO of King Mo. It was easily in the top five. These guys drop a couple fights, and Bellator lets them go. I'm like, damn, if I count it, like, it's just weird to me. Like, if I were them, I would keep those guys on the roster, and if anything, keep them around for one more fight. See if they can get it done in one more fight because as the show really displayed, you need the depth. That's the thing, though. Like Bellator continues, um, you know, you've, you've almost championed this crusade, uh, you know, almost like that light bulb that's going off in your head. And it's just like going on and off, on and off. The question marks everywhere. It, again, it doesn't make any sense why, you know, these guys cannot stay. I mean, the whole point of having a mixed martial arts promotion, especially if you're considered, you know, the number two organization and, and you know, are they, are they not? You just, I mean, yes and no sort of thing, but you got to keep talent. That's, that's what you have. You got to keep talent and you can't let talent go. Like the likes of some of these names from Will Brooks to Marcin Held and stuff like that. And so many others, like you got to keep them and you got to somehow, I mean, I guess over the years they've tried to, to build them to a certain extent, but you know, does some of it fall on the fighters? Of course it does. They're the one that, that have to really promote themselves along with the promotion. But as the promotion, you got to also figure out, um, you know, how to keep them around and how to promote them. I know that, I know they did great stuff when Kimbo Slice was around and, you know, but those are guys that have had names before you got to try and build these names yourself and get them out there. I know they've tried with the Dave and Buster's uh, promotion and sponsorship. Um, they, they've done some pretty good work, but some way, somehow, you got to sort of cross that barrier uh, or figure it out because, you know, yeah, the UFC is the big show and they, they, they're able to promote their guys, but there's tons of guys in the UFC uh, that no one knows about that are fantastic fighters, girls as well, right? So it's just a game of mixed martial arts. Sometimes you got to big catch lightning in the bottle or lightning in a bottle, not just as the promotion, but also as the fighter. I wonder what it is. Like, I asked Andrei Koreshkov, like, if the exodus of European, Polish, Russian fighters had something to do with Bjorn Rebney being gone because that's one of the, the good things that Bjorn Rebney did do. Man, the scouts that they had in Russia and Europe, it was just they – I don't want to say responsible for the the crazy influx of that talent, but – You've seen these guys come and go. Volkov, Minikov, Ivanov, Frodo, uh, Marcin Held. Like, that that can't be a coincidence that all these guys just pieced out. Like, that, it's just it's so weird to me. After this, the really good relationship they had with these fighters. Now, I know Frodo had visa issues and stuff, but Bellator did not make it easy on him, from what I understand. They, they made it very difficult for him. It's just weird to me. 
because that's one of the things I really loved about Bellator a few years ago was if a new guy from like Russia was debuting, I was like, ah, probably worth watching this guy because I'll likely be talking about him in a few years. To me, Joe, especially when heavyweights are at such a premium, those three names I mentioned, Ivanov, Minikov, Volkov. Boy, I would have tried to keep them around because at any time, any of those three could be a top 15 UFC heavyweight. Timothy Johnson is number 15 in that division right now. Yeah, I think I think the one key point of what you just mentioned all there was, is this really a coincidence or not? Because it just seems like it's some, there's something you know going on here. Bjorn Rebney leaves, and all this talent uh, sort of leaves not with him, but because of him, right? So it's 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 strange, and I'm I'm just kind of wondering what you know with with Scott Coker and 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 Chow and you know the matchmaking and what what exactly is going on? Are they actually saying you know what we don't? Is it a financial issue trying to fly these fighters over if they're not based uh, in the states or they're not based in North America? Um, is it the the problems you know with the, the and the visa, uh, I mean, what what really um, that caused this? Because there was so much talent there. There is talent now, but there was more before. So it is puzzling. And like you said, with heavyweights, I'll never forget, uh, you know, like a half an hour, 45-minute phone call conversation I had with Joe Silva way back in the day, uh, just talking about fighters and divisions. And, you know, he was he always told me back then, that's a little different now, but back then he's like, if there's heavyweight out there uh, that I need to know about, I'm listening. I want to see, I want to see footage and, you know, he's, the doors will be open for the UFC. This guy's got any sort of skill that we could build upon. And that, that was, you know, a while ago, but, Heavyweights, you know, flyweights, you know, um, women at 145, right? People are listening. Matchmakers are listening and paying attention. What they are doing with the the ultimate fighter flyweight is fantastic. I love that. I think that's great. Um, Either way, Phil Davis completely dominated Liam McGeary. I'll say this. Phil Davis's stand-up is a very long way from being decent, but it is improving. He's doing little things like he's not lifting his back foot up when he'll throw a cross or a straight. That goes a long way. Uh, he had some real good transitions, like real good setups, where he uses his unique body type to throw a body kick and then immediately shoots, and it works for him. Uh, so as a light heavyweight champion, they could do much worse. They could do much worse. Phil Davis is very personable. For what he lacks in, in, in excitement inside the ring, he certainly makes up for it outside of the ring. Plus, the hammerlock is one of my all-time favorite f- submission finishes that he – I think it was Boach. Uh, Tim Boach. Tim Boach at 123. Oh, my God, that was fantastic. Uh, a behind – just a, a hammerlock, it was magnificent. I loved it. But mm-hmm. as light heavyweight champion, what do, you, what do you think of Phil Davis? Uh, I think he's fantastic. I think he's got the personalities. He's definitely a character. Um, you know, he, he's infectious with his laugh. Um, the whole thing with Phil would have always – kind of thought was weird about his style um, because he's got such a different style than most everyone, especially with his body type. Um, the fact that he's such a good wrestler, like fantastic skill set, um, you almost want him to just unleash a little bit more speed and or power with his striking because realistically speaking, there aren't many guys that could really take him down in the sport. He'll be able to at least fight it off and defend it very, very well. So what gives, man? Just let it go as hard as you can, as powerful as you can. They're not going to take you down. Uh, and if they, the way he crouches down and the way he bobs and weaves and the way he sets up a str- 
if they can counter, they can counter, but at least unleash because I do like his body kicks. But if you throw the body kicks, obviously, in, in, in essence, to set up a takedown, you're not throwing it with as much full force as you should. So I would love to see Phil completely unleash with his striking, almost not to the point where he forgets about his defense, but don't be too concerned about being taken down. You're not getting taken down. There aren't many guys that are going to be able to do it. And if they do take him down or attempt to take him down, he will be able to fight it off. And if they do take him down, he'll probably be able to get up. He is built like action figures that you see and you're like, that action figure isn't built realistically, but he is. That's how it, that's how he looks like you just get two action figure arms and plop it on the side of like a torso like, because the shoulders pop out. It's it's insane. It's insane. Uh, before we get into UFC Fight Night 98, uh, guys, check out. We had probably the busiest weekend for features on our website. We had the, the new segment that you all like a lot, Anna Bowert's look at the 10 most ridiculous happenings of the week. Uh, we may shorten that in the future, but to give you an intro to Anna, we wanted to do that. That has went over incredibly well. Share it, all that good stuff. Also Thursday, we had a podcast with Matt Riddle, easily our best yet with Matt. We have exclusive analysis of TNA's ratings in the UK and the US. We had some update. Our forums are up now. They are good to go. Go hang out on those things. I'll be much more active on there. We had features from Showdown Joe, from Jimmy Van. We had exclusives uh, with Marlos Kunin talking retirement and the Bellator title plans. Liam McGeary and Phil Davis. Scott Coker talking his heavyweight and women's title plans. And we had uh, some stuff from Vince Russo talking about why his relationship with John Gaborik soured, uh, about the Nasty Boys signing with TNA way back when, all kinds of stuff. We had a New Japan power struggle, live viewing party, one of the only sites online to even do that. We got them, man. All of them. The Pacquiao fight covered it. UFC fight covered it. The Eddie Bravo Invitational today. We're covering it live. Go hang out. Hey, so what happened in the Pacquiao fight? Manny Pacquiao won. Okay. And, you know, I got to say, he's doing the right thing. Uh, Our boy Carlos Toro covered that. We'll go ahead and talk about that. This show is not going to draw a lot. It's just not. Manny Pacquiao built up a lot of bad will that I, I noticed in the Mayweather fight by even taking that fight with that severe injury that he had. And I think that, I think people just had fatigue. They were so tired of Mayweather and Pacquiao after that fight because it was built for years and years and years, and the fight just didn't deliver. But he's smart, and whoever put this card together smart. They loaded it up with a bunch of title fights. Good. You're using his name to get the couple hundred thousand people that are going to buy this show to make a couple other names. Good. I love that. Pacquiao is relying much more on his cerebral his cerebral fighting ability than his physical fighting ability at this stage. And at, I think, 37, 38, you got to do that, Joe. I mean, we see it with with all kinds of fighters. Like, you just got to get smarter, and he does that. Also, if I'm him, I'm staying at a higher at the higher weights because once you get lower, that, that speed – the, the speed becomes a disadvantage instead of an advantage. And, yeah, I mean, you, you got Jesse Vargas on a pay-per-view with Manny Pacquiao, but – Pacquiao beat and, and Vargas hung around at the, on, the, on the early going, but um, it was not as close as, as uh, one of the scorecards would indicate. Uh, Floyd Mayweather was there, and Mac- Pacquiao would not rule out a Mayweather rematch. Do you have any interest in that? 
Uh, I'm going to go with uh, no. I got zero interest in that, and <laughs> I've already seen it the first time. Uh, you, you're not going to convince me uh, the second time that it's going to be a better fight. Probably will be. I don't know. Maybe they'll, they'll just realize what they did. Was they screwed up. I don't think it could be worse. I don't think it could be worse. Yeah, I'm not interested. I covered then that. I, like it was such it on, a big, and obviously it's the biggest selling pay per view of all time. But it was so big that a pro wrestling site that had never covered boxing had me cover that round by round. Like it was that big of a deal. It was a huge deal. Um, Pacquiao knocked Vargas down in the middle of the second round that, that, you know, turned some heads. People were like, Oh damn, maybe he's back. Maybe he's for real. Vargas just wouldn't give up and really stood toe to toe with him for like the first, I want to say six rounds, but then Pacquiao just turned it on and dominated and nobody cared about this fight. We have Kovalev and Ward next Saturday. That's a – or not next Saturday, in a couple of Saturdays, rather. That's the biggest fight in boxing right now this year because 2017 is – if they can get some fights together in 2016, if Tyson Fury gets his head on straight, that's cool. If they get Anthony Joshua and, and Klitschko, that's a big one. Deontay Wilder coming back from his injury, that's a big one. Triple G and Canelo, if they can put that together, that's a big one. So boxing could have a really big 2017. It reminds me a lot of like how the UFC waned in 2012 and 2000, really 2012 through 2014. It was kind of rough at patches. But man, the last couple of years, they've came back with some big, big super fights and major cards, and they've seemed to have the formula down. You put one giant star at the top of the card, then you just fill it up with other guys. It's it's very the Pacquiao situation, very interesting. Guys, by the way, uh, share all of our uh, stories: Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook groups. Follow us at Fightful Online on both of those. It really, really helps. If you like those video segments that Anna does, I wanted to get somebody's face on here that wasn't me. For a change, I know sometimes you all don't like to look at me, so uh, I wanted to change it up. And Anna um, actually contacted us about like transcription work, and I was I did some research on her. I found one of her reels, and I was like, "No, you need to be on camera for Fightful because she's a one. She's an excellent actress as well." So uh, I hope you all like that segment. More are coming, uh, but yeah, uh, lots of cool new things coming to Fightful.com. We have Aaron Hyden writing for us, a guy who used to write for Lords of Pain. Cool stuff like that. Now, Joe, before I get this UFC card, it's crazy to look back at this. I'm looking back at old cards. What would you do? Or how many pay-per-views today would you say that a card with Conor McGregor, Donald Cerrone, Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson, Yoel Romero, Tim Kennedy, Kat Zingano, Amanda Nunes, Dominic Cruz, Wonder Boy Thompson, how many pay-per-view buys would you say that would do tomorrow if it aired? Uh, it, it, 1.6. In 2014, that card did 205,000. Oh, Isn't wow. that crazy to think? Isn't that crazy to think how far we've come yeah. in two years? Totally different. UFC, UFC 178, headlined by Chris Cariasso, the main event. Man. UFC Fight Night 98, Mexico City. I want to ask you, Joe, what is your opinion on them placing these guys in fights at such ridiculous elevations? Um, 
if, if I'm thinking as the promoter, uh, I, I don't have any issues with it because if, if I'm going to sell the place out and it's going to do big TV numbers because of the, you know, the, the draws that are on there, you know, so be it. I mean, in, in my opinion, as, as a professional fighter, uh, and, and I've been in gyms and we, we broke down strategy for some of the fighters, where are we fighting? And it was always, are you fighting in Denver? Are you fighting in Japan? Where, where are you fighting? Are you fighting in Europe? And we would calculate the importance of the time zone change. Uh, so um, I, I personally, Sean, I have no problem with them putting on these fights up there uh, because then the onus, again, goes on to the fighter and his camp and his management to understand, look, we're fighting at, you know, 7,800 feet uh, elevation. You got to prepare. You got to get there early. And if you don't, uh, held, you're going to realize that there's going to be some situations when you get into the fights and you're not able to basically do what you're supposed to do, Cain Velasquez. Um, it, it's just one of those things that you got to know as a professional fighter and don't assume that it's not going to work. I've heard the stories, oh, you're fine if you get there within five days. Man, you're not, man. I've seen it happen too many times. So uh, if you ever get signed to a card where it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter where you sign, whether it's elevation or time zone or, or whatever, do your homework on what it takes to make sure you are going to compete and peak at 100% when you get there on fight night. Now, there, there were issues at the weigh-ins. We will talk about that. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and talk about that. Charles Oliveira shows up at 155 pounds for a featherweight fight. He was forced to give up 30% of his purse by Ricardo Lamas, who took the fight, which I love. He had to do that. And he had to weigh in at 165 the next day. Don't necessarily like that because of the health issue. Charles Oliveira does not need to fight at featherweight ever again. Ever, ever, ever again. It's like the third time he's missed weight. Also, Brian Stan indicated something that was kind of made a lot of people take notice. The Oliveira's pace made him think he probably didn't even try to cut the weight. He took this fight kind of short notice, but... Three weeks. Three weeks, but man, 10 pounds? It's... it's uh... I want to be careful how I say this because I know I've got a lot of followers that just go on these like literal rampages. Uh, they email me or they'll, they'll direct message me and just how disgusted they are with fighters not making weight. And I get it. I get that. You know, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's bad, but you could just tell that something was off that night. I don't, I don't know if it was because of the three weeks, because it was an injury or just the motivation. I don't know what it was, but at the same time, you sign that on dotted line. You agreed to do this at 145. Uh, to be nine pounds over is, I, 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 it's almost like what? Like you don't care? Like if you're nine pounds over, are, don't, aren't you really going to know that at least a week or two in advance? Uh, I know it's only been three weeks, but you know, during that week, that if this is going to happen, listen, something's got to happen between your man and your opponent's management to come up with some sort of catch weight then. Because get it out there. Don't embarrass yourself. Just say, look, man, here's the problem that I'm having. And maybe the opponent might say, no, too bad, suffer, right? I, I, we don't know if that was what happened behind the scene, but something's got to give here. I know 30% seems like a lot of money, but it's it's really not. I mean, this this is why we have weight classes. This is why we have divisions where we, we try and put people together, um, you know, within the same weight within 24 hours of the fight. Uh, I know there's going to be changes in, in weight cutting in the future. Uh, I know there's going to be changes to where fighters are going to be placed in, in which division, in which class, uh, based on the water or the volume test. So things are going to change. We are going to see fighters moving up and down uh, very, very soon once that becomes normal. Um, but just, it just, I don't know. I'm not saying it drives me nuts. It's disappointing, I guess. It, it is disappointing. And, 
the first round, the size advantage really, really played in Oliver's favor. And I felt dirty watching the fight. Like, I felt fight. There are some situations where size doesn't matter. If Ricardo Lamas fights a heavyweight dude on the street, untrained, he's going to beat the living shit out of them. But Charles Oliveira isn't untrained. This is a different situation. If he, if Ricardo Lamas faces another top-level athlete who's a heavyweight, he's still going to beat the shit out of them. Like, it's just how it is. But Charles Oliveira is a top-10 featherweight. Well, he ain't a featherweight anymore. And after he got tapped out by Ricardo Lamas in the second round, which was sweet MMA justice, he might be gone from the UFC. If I'm the UFC, I do cut him because it's like the third time he's missed weight. He's lost three of his last four fights. Now, granted, the three, the three people he lost to, Anthony Pettis, Max Holloway, Ricardo Lamas. Big, big names. But if you're Oliveira, you still have it, – it's very – it's it's not too late because he's 27 years old. By the way, or yeah, by the way, I thought that his name was Dub Bronx for for like the last five years, not Du Bronx. Figured that out yesterday. Well, no, you but know what? He, it, it was the Bronx until Stan said or, or Annex said Du Bronx, and I'm like, what? It's Dub Bronx. Well, apparently now it's Du well, Bronx. It's, on Sherdog, it's Du Bronx. So I don't know. I don't know. Either way, I think Oliveira is gone he needs to be gone because you can't stand for this you can't you can miss weight and keep winning a la john lineker you can't miss weight (laughs) and then lose that's 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 a no-no yeah i concur i I mean who knows what's going to happen with his career but it's just you know and i and you and i talked about leading up to the event you know where where do i think what's going to happen with llamas and and olivera i said if if the llamas could take this into the second round or third round i think he wins by uh by some sort of finish um, it just seems that Oliveira, when you know, if, if he's, I don't know how to say it, um, if he's in trouble, it ends quickly. You know what I'm saying? If he's in trouble, he ends quickly. I think you called it the Dimmock punch at one point, uh, where out of nowhere, he's just, what happened there, right? It just seems that that way. But yeah, you cannot be missing weight like that. And, you know, I, I don't get how you can be a professional. Is it that much of a fine line? as a professional mixed martial artist or whatever sport boxing it is that when you're cutting weight, that it's such a fine line where you, you, you either miss by a little bit or you miss by a monstrous amount. Uh, like nine pounds is just ludicrous. Egregious. Yeah. And he, I'm sure he would land in Bellator if he got cut. I'm sure he would. And then you, over there, you got David Rickles, Michael Chandler, Patricky Pitbull, Syed Awad, uh, Melvin Lard when he comes back. Josh Thompson, Ben Henderson, there's some good fights for a Charles Oliveira at 155 over there. Um, I, I'm trying to think of who else. Kevin Souza, Paul Sass, if he ever fights again. Yeah. I don't know. I think he's still under contract. Speaking of getting cut, Chris Avila is super fired. I sent you a text yesterday saying <laughs> that I picked CM Punk over Chris Avila. And I am steadfast in that notion. Chris Avila, outside of some freak show options, may be the worst UFC fighter I've ever seen. Wait, 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 wait. In in the modern era. Um you ever watch John Hess would beat him. John Hess, yeah, John Hess. Oh, come on. That's terrible. Um Andy Anderson would beat him. Oh my. 
I, I was sitting there watching that fight. You ever watch fights on your own doing research and when you're seeing something on the screen that you're just baffled, that you actually look over your shoulder to say, am I the only one watching this right now? Like, am I the only one that's going to make a reaction to this? Because when I was watching Chris fight, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't understand this this style. I don't understand what he's trying to do. I mean, I don't know. Are you trying to fight? Are you trying to win? I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it. And I'm thinking to myself, what is your end result? What is your goal right here? Because you train with some bad, bad men who, who do anything possible to hurt people that train themselves to take quote unquote, an ass whooping and, and quote, and you, you, you don't fight that way. You don't, I don't understand what, I, I don't know. Are my eyes deceiving me, Sean? I'm looking at this guy here's, thinking to myself, what are you doing? Here's the thing. Here's the thing I like about the fact that Chris Avila exists. I have seen countless amateur fighters. Now I am no trainer. I, I train like very, very low level. Like I've done, I've filled in for some classes and stuff like that. And I used to teach some women's kickboxing and things like that. I am no trainer. But I have seen so many amateur MMA fighters go in and try to be Nick and Nate Diaz. Chris Avila, Chris Avila is what happens when you try to be Nick and Nate Diaz and you don't have the talent there. You don't have the skill. You don't have the technique. You don't have the heart that they do. You don't have any of those things. This was a really bad Diaz brother impersonation. And this is what happens when you do that bad impersonation and you fight somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. It's puzzling. Not only that, he fa- he he lost to Artem. <laughs> I don't. I, again, I mean, I, I I don't know what to say. I, it's 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 beyond puzzling, and it, it goes back to my theory that the UFC used to be the Super Bowl of MMA, but now it's the top. It's the it's tier tier one, two, three, four, and five. You know, there's there's people on there. Going back, I think it's going back to that. I think they're going to reduce the number of cards. They're obviously letting fighters go, letting more fighters go. I think it's going back to that because I don't think WME IMG is interested in running two shows a day like they're going to do in a couple of weeks. Uh, I don't think they're they're interested in running shows in Australia uh, at random. If they do that, it'll be a big show, I think. Um, in terms of – okay, so let's, let's just stop for one second here. You mentioned you don't think that – um, they're going to have as many shows. But the thing is, I think that the Fox contract almost mandates the content for the station. That's my concern right there. It's when this sure. Fox contract comes to an end or if they get out of this contract, either A, create a new one, or B, move to a different television provider where we can see this change. But to my understanding, it's almost like it's mandated. They've got to put these fights on. And and I've said it from day one, uh, I would only like to see two UC events uh, a month, a pay-per-view and a fight night, a pay-per-view and a fight night. Keep the roster smaller than what it is right now. That way you only have the elite of the elite. Uh, I'm sorry, not the elite of the elite. You put the elite of the elite in the pay-per-view and you put the, those elite fighters that should be competing on fight nights and you build them to the point where they can get to a pay-per-view and you just keep that cycle going. Um, I, I, I'm, I don't understand this whole, just the tiers that they have, you know, your A, B, C, and D. Like, I mean, Look at some of these fighters. They don't belong in the UFC, in my opinion. So, uh, again, who am I to say I'm not a fighter? I just all, all I have is that eye that I've seen since you know for the for the better part of almost 20, more than twenty years uh, of seeing mixed martial arts and just looking at be able to almost scout and say, nah, you don't belong here yet, man. You got a lot of work to do. I think that they'll reduce 
the number of fights per card. I think that's what will happen mainly. I don't think it'll be – I should have prefaced that. I don't think it'll be maybe necessarily less shows, although I don't think they'll do as many overseas shows. I don't think they're doing like the Fight Night Australia's. If they do, do that, it'll probably be pay-per-view, something like that. But I think they'll probably reduce the number of fights in general, and I, that would make it more digestible. That would make it a lot, a lot easier for me. That I agree with. I'd love to see that. Sam Alvey versus Alex Nicholson. Alex Nicholson, he's had some troubles. He is not a, a baby face, as we call in pro wrestling. He's had some domestic charges. He's had some issues with or some racial comments. It was very satisfying for me to see him lose to Sam Alvey. <laughs> Sean. <laughs> now, keep in mind, I, I see Sam Alvey see some, say some pretty crazy things on his interviews and I have, I have a dude named Chris Curtis who I have on Facebook and they're buddies. So I see his Facebook comments and I'm like, damn, this Sam Alvey. He's a wild one. It was, I, but I believe Sam Alvey's a good dude. It was very, very satisfying for me to see Alex Nicholson lose. Yeah. He just wouldn't fire off. He wouldn't let anything go uh, the last round and a half of the fight. All right, when I see that happening with any, with with any mixed martial arts, I'm like, what's going on here? Like, you're you're you've got 15 minutes, you got to win this fight, and the only way you win this fight is through offense. And whether it's you leading the charge or counterfighting, what's going on here? This was very, like I said, made me happy. We had three straight finishes. We had um, Douglas Silva de Andrade, which oh, that was a great stoppage by the ref. Just a an intelligent. Brilliant stoppage by the rest, that spinning back fist. You had Max Griffin in under a minute. And then you had Joe Soto, the former title challenger, with a magnificent heel hook in a minute and a half. Which of those was more impressive to you? Um, the Joe Soto one, as you know, potentially made me vomit. Um, because it was just, oh, that looks so painful. Uh, can't stand heel hooks, no matter whether it's, inver- oh, whether it's inverted or, you know, the, or an orthodox heel hook. I hate them. They, they just, I, I won't even, I won't even enter grappling competitions that don't allow leg locks. Oh, you're it's a waste a of my time. Sick. It's a waste you're a of my sick time. man. Like I could just, even talking about it, my knees are hurting right now. Uh, my ACL, my MCL. My meniscus, is, they're all hurting. They're just all the times that, you know, I almost, I tapped to a heel hook one time. It wasn't even a full heel hook. It was because my foot yeah. and ankle got caught in the gi, in the gi, and I yeah. wasn't able to pull it out. And I was like, ah, this, and, and I was sidelined for a good three weeks because of that. So anyways, that kind of grossed me out. Um, the stoppage, the stoppage was kind of like, yay and nay for me. I was kind of like, yeah, I could have just a little bit more, but on the, on, on the, I guess airing on the side of safety, I get that, but um, uh, I mean, you know what? I'll, I'll go with Soto then. Yeah, that was that was very impressive, just the way he was able to set it up, uh, and of course the speed, uh, the fact that they were dry, they weren't soaked, uh, helped him a lot. So uh, I'll, I'll give my vote to Soto there. He's one of those guys that after three straight losses in the UFC, he lost to Dillashaw, Burchak, and Tanaka. You're like. I didn't argue with their decision to hang on to him because of what he did at UFC 177. He stepped up and took a fight on one day's notice. Now, a lot of people would take a title fight on one day's notice. I have never fought. I would fight on one day's notice for a title just to do it. It's just, you know, any almost any, a lot of people would do that. 
But, he but, took, that, but that, going back to that there real quick, Sean, that was smart. That was smart matchmaking, putting him on that card because anytime you have a title fight or two title fights, you got to have other guys in that weight class also on the card for this very reason. If something happens, you cannot make a phone call to the number one, number two, number three ranked guy and say, "Hey, can you step up on twenty four hours notice?" No, yes. because of the risk that they're taking. That the guy on the card has already trained for eight to twelve weeks. He'll step up. So that was a good call, and, and, yeah. and people laughed at it. And I'm like, it's the it's the right decision to make. And that whole show would have been canceled had he not done that. Like it would have been canceled on one day's notice. It wouldn't have been on like you. I don't think they would have moved it to Fox or anything like that. I think it probably would have been canceled because they only they would have only had seven fights on that show. He saved a show. Now, now I said I would take a title fight on a day's notice. I would not take it to the fifth round. I damn <laughs> sure guarantee you that. And he did. Um, I probably wouldn't take it to the fifth second. But so the fact that he did that says a lot. Now he's came back and he's won two fights in a row. So that good for Joe Soto. Good for Joe Soto. Eric Perez won. Alexa Grasso won. Nothing too, like, outstanding. Alexa Grasso had some awesome flurries, though. Man, they had some awesome flurries. I thought she but, was gonna. I thought she was gonna finish that fight. To be honest with you, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised it went 15 minutes. Yes, I am too. Uh, Heather Clark was the right opponent for her, I think, to showcase her in Mexico, and that's what these two guys or these two names they want. The Alexa Grasso and Eric Perez. If UFC does stay Canada, America, Mexico, Brazil, like I am thinking they're gonna do. These are two important names to the company, Joe. Yeah. Did Perez, did they announce if Perez uh, had an ACL injury or was it just something that his knee buckled? I don't know. I still got to check on that. Well, I hope it's not an ACL. If it's not an ACL, he's obviously injured. He's going to be out for a little bit. As long as it's not an ACL, my fingers are crossed for, for Perez. Uh, when did you, do you know when 26 he, years old, though, or 20, he's about to be 27. So he's still a youngin. All right. When did he move to, um, to AKA? Do you remember? Was it about a, was it was this this fight here or, or a year ago? Oh man, I know he was at Alliance. So, geez, because he was with Greg Jackson remember. for the longest time. When I was up there and we did that huge, we, we interviewed like twelve fighters. Uh, he was one of them, and I'd actually met him before that. Um, I, to me, it just seems weird when I don't see Greg Jackson there. But uh, what what do you think of guys moving in between major camps like Alliance and Jackson's and AKA? I think it's. Hey, he's young and he's doing it. That's what I like. It, it, it's always – it's each individual fighter. It all depends on them and, and what they can bring to the table. I mean, I've, I've seen guys go from Jackson to Faraz – or sorry, Zahabi uh, to AKA to, to Alliance. Um, sorry, not, not, not AKA, Alliance. My bad when I was talking about uh, Perez there. I was just uh, thinking there. But guys have moved around, and some guys benefit from it. Some guys don't because it's, it's the ones that usually – it's, again, it's hard to say it's individual because chances are if you spent a lot of time with a camp, you either excel with it, you realize that after time it starts degrading, you better start moving away. So, uh, you know, bottom line is fighting is an individual sport. As much as we think it's a team sport, it is in preparation, but the bottom line is you're alone. Uh, you've only got two or three other people that are with you on fight night, but you're in there alone. You're performing on your own. Your coaches are there um, to, to sort of, guide you things that you may be missing or opportunities that you're not seeing. Other than that, you are on your own, but it's weird. It's a team sport full of individuals. How's that? I completely agree. 
Also, uh, we had uh, Benil Dariush defeating Rashid Magomedov. That wasn't the most exciting fight in the world, but it was an important one in the lightweight division. Top 15 fight. Diego Sanchez, I don't know how in the hell he keeps doing it. I don't know. <laughs> He's like... He's so awesome. He beat Marcin Held, who is a highly touted prospect. And Diego is 34 years old, which is crazy to think he's just 34. He was in the Ultimate Fighter 1. He is the original Ultimate Fighter. Forrest Griffin is not. And it's, it's Diego Sanchez. He was the first one to ever win it. And technically he's – well, I say technically. I don't know if Stefan Bonner has actually retired yet. I don't know. Like if Bella – because, you know, the people I get say they might be retired – then all of a sudden they offer him Chael Sonnen and Stefan Bonner pops up and he's like, well, I'm ready to fight, guys. Um, <laughs> and Josh Koscheck, I, I would be surprised if he actually ever fought again. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past Bellator to call up Bobby Southworth and be like, oh my. hey, we got a fight for you. Oh, my. Imagine. But What would you think of Diego's uh, guillotine escape there? The Showtime guillotine escape. That was beautiful. Well, I don't know how much that actually worked. I think it was more him tossing the guy, but it was awesome. It was really cool. I've never seen that before, and I hope to see it again. I hope people start training it. I don't know how you can really train that uh, because but you know what? That's, you got to be you know what that is. Got to be one part crazy. Yeah, to do it. you know what that is. One of my, my one of my old um, actually really a friend of mine, jiu jitsu instructor, black belt. Um, he, he's part of my wedding party, and he used to always say when they used to grow up in Brazil, what he goes when they would train at the time it was called vale tudo. It was never called MMA. It was vale tudo, and he said. Whether you're a, a, a jiu-jitsu fighter, whether you're a boxer, Muay Thai, it doesn't matter. Inside of you, you always have to have a panic button. And that panic button that you press, there's no technique. Get the hell out of the submission. And that's that's what Diego Sanchez did. He was in a situation where he could have put his left arm over to defend the, the, the pressure from the choke. He, the, way, the way Held had it on, it was basically, I need to get the F out of here or I'm going to be tapping out. And he just ran up the cage and came back down and did what he had to do. So technically speaking, I don't know if you can train that, but it was a it was a button press where it was like, I need to get out of this now. I don't care how I do it. I don't need perfect technique. Get out of this hold right now. So I absolutely loved it. Well, they got to add that to the UFC game. They have to. <laughs> they, have to. they should. Never mind. Yeah. Tony Ferguson versus Rafael Dos Anjos. Man, is there a lot to unpack here? No oh boy. First off, I'll say Tony Ferguson has done more to earn a title shot than Khabib Nurmagomedov has now. And I fully believe that. I didn't believe it. After the Lando Venata fight, I had questions about how real Tony Ferguson was. I don't question that anymore. Now, here's the, the big thing. Had the Conor McGregor situation never happened, it might, and Tony Ferguson would have gotten his title shot probably when he deserved it earlier this year, he might be the world champion right now. Yeah, that's an interesting scenario for sure. And he had to win the last two rounds to win this fight, and he came back and he did that. His body type, really, and he didn't even use his reach in the first round. I think after that first round, he saw, okay, I'm going to get chopped down if I don't do this. And he adjusted accordingly. He won three of the last four rounds and took home his biggest victory to date over Rafael Dos Anjos. Damn. 
It's amazing. Yeah. If this was a 15-minute fight, Dos Anjos wins, but it's a five-round fight, and Ferguson clearly wins. Unpack everything from this. As I said earlier, unpack it. What you got here? How do you how do you not fall in love with a with with a fighter that is fighting a guy like Rafael dos Anjos, the former champion of the world, and is having fun? Is just launched- well, I'll tell you how. <laughs> he wears sunglasses indoors at press conferences, and his name isn't Conor McGregor. That's how. <laughs> okay, he's launching these attacks, these jabs, um, and and I think Stan pointed it out because. Sean, when you watch fights, you're, you're looking at timing as well. Sometimes you'll catch yourself sort of bobbing and weaving. You're kind of like, ooh, ah, right? And, and the way Tony's timing is off, it's not that he's on the off beat. Uh, like, you, you know, when you're striking someone, you got the beat there. He's on the off beat. But the way he lands it, then he throws the, the second or third punch or kick is just something to behold. And it got to the point where he was not only smiling in the fight, at the end of rounds, he's chirping uh, Dos Anjos. So not only is he beating him physically, he's now mentally in his head. Um, and you mentioned the whole thing about, you know, guys changing camps. Well, you know, the science didn't have uh, Master Cordero in his corner for this fight here. So it says a lot about, you know, where potentially his mindset uh, was in this fight, who was helping him sort of break this down and, and really keep him focused. But the way Ferguson was fighting uh, was just just short of magical. I mean, a great performance. Um, you're saying he does he deserve that. You, you think he deserves that title shot? ahead of Nurmagomedov. I, I, I'm still leaning towards Nurmagomedov, to be honest with you, but I will have no problems, and especially with Nurmagomedov saying what he's saying right now and, and sort of pissing off the UFC. Yeah. Let's not be surprised if Ferguson gets that next crack at the title. You got to believe Ferguson. He's begging for a Michael Johnson win at UFC 205 over Nurmagomedov. Oh, for sure. But um, this was a really good example of assessing what went wrong in the first round and adjusting to win the fight. And that's exactly what Tony Ferguson did. Uh, just he, he kept Dos Anjos out of range. He still paid on occasion. Now, what does this say for the power of, of uh, Dos Anjos and the chin of Ferguson? Like, we've seen one guy, like, really wax Ben Henderson. It wasn't Donald Cerrone. It wasn't Showtime Pettis. It wasn't Nate Diaz. It wasn't even Andre Koreshkov at 170. It was Rafael Dos Anjos. And Ferguson sat in there and took those shots. He took so many of those shots. So that's very impressive. Also, what does it say about our boy, Lando Venata, that he was able to do what he did to Tony Ferguson on short notice? That's also pretty cool. I say we need a rematch, and then he gets a title any division he wants. Lando? So again, who Lando? Lando's the greatest. Lando's, Lando's the greatest. Yes, he's the best. He's, he's the greatest the ever. We need shirts. We got to get some shirts done. I would love that. Also, something I didn't bring up. Boy, this pissed me off real bad. In between rounds, Heather Joe Clark said, "I can't see straight," and her coach sent her back out there. Wow, the level of ineptitude. That's horse shit, Joe. That is horrible. It's disturbing, to be honest with you. I mean, come on. It's, I, I know it's the fight game. You got to make sure, A, the fighter has heart, or B, you do whatever you can to make sure you win. But at that point there, she's in big trouble. Yeah, I don't agree with that that, that move at all. I think it was stupid. Uh, she said she could see fine later. Apparently, she got her sight knocked back into her. Uh, I don't know how that works. <laughs> we have UFC 205 next week. We have Joe cranking out a bunch of bunch of features. We're going to have a lot of UFC content. We are the place to be, guys. 
if you don't even like MMA, come hang out during our UFC 205 viewing party. It's literally the biggest show ever. It's such a big show that Saturday Night Live across the town was like, well, we better make sure that we fill up the house. Uh, let's call up Dave Chappelle to host the show. Dave Chappelle hasn't done a skit in 10 years. So they're bringing out the big guns uh, in New York City. Also, my favorite rap group of all time, A Tribe Called Quest. Joe, do you know how upset that made me when my favorite comedian and favorite rap group of all time are headlining SNL opposite UFC 205? Didn't surprise me at all. But uh, yeah, I got some uh, Tribe on here. Midnight Marauders is on the phone, so love Tribe. I'm definitely DVRing that. We will have a podcast after the show. Boy, that's going to be a late night. Oh, God. God. Why can't they cater to the East Coast ever? <laughs> Even when they're on the East Coast. I know, right? Wouldn't it be fantastic to have these shows earlier on? It would be. So, how much ECW did you watch back in your pro wrestling days? Any? Ugh, minuscule. Minuscule amounts. Do you remember Kid Cash? Yes. He fought last night. 47 years old, had been running his mouth, chirping, wow. saying that he would beat up CM Punk. He lasted all of 39 seconds before he got the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm ready for Kid Cash versus Chris Avila. Oh, wow. I want it. I need it. CM Punk would have waxed Kid Cash. CM Punk has trained at a top-notch camp for <laughs> the better part of two years now. Any news coming out with CM Punk? I haven't seen or heard anything. I've just been texting some people. He's training. He's training. Okay, I've talked to a few people, but nothing, nothing. A little. I know that he was taking in some Cubs games, obviously, but and it is hockey season, so he's probably going to be training less. But Kid Cash, forty-seven years old. Hey, he got paid, whatever. But man, we have that up on the site, by the way. The title is Kid Cash gets destroyed in MMA fight. He got hammered. Like, it wasn't even close. Let me see if I can pull this up. That's terrible. <laughs> I want to show you this. The good people over at Flow Combat posted a nice gif of the, the fight. And boy, it was bad. It was so bad. Like, this guy doesn't have any business saying that he would beat up anybody, much less a person. And it's crazy to say I'm saying much less CM Punk, but much less a guy who actually trained years okay here we go oh man this is sad sad to watch is it gonna be i'm pulling up this the screen now don't say anything because uh it will pull off the the video but here it is oh god no kid cash. No kid cash. Yeah, he got worked. It was really, really bad. Oh, look at him putting his head down and just throwing. He got whooped. He got mollywopped. He got turned into an errand boy. Jeez. Joe, anything to tell these beautiful people before we go? Oh, it's going to be a busy week. I can't wait. We're finally here. It's going to be a fantastic week, and, and I'm already thinking about 
what I'm trying to spit out in terms of articles. I've got a bunch of ideas. Uh, I've got to narrow it down to a, to a couple, but uh, it's going to be a big, big week. I think we're going to have so many ebbs and flows this week. It's going to be insane, but I can't wait till next Saturday night. But we still have, what, uh, six days to get there. So it's going to be uh, an interesting high and low week, I can tell you that. This is why we do it. This is why people like me and you get hired, Joe. So this is exciting. we got to prove our worth this week. So. so you're saying I can't be sick at all this week. Gotcha. Noted. Understand. You can't. you can't. Guys, I am back tomorrow night after uh, Monday Night Raw. I believe tomorrow or Tuesday is our 100th episode of the Fightful.com podcast. In just a few months. That's crazy. Like I said, go check out Anna Bauer's new video. It is uh, up on our main page. Go check that out. People have been loving that. I'm going to get Anna on a podcast soon to promote that. Uh Lots of cool stuff coming from Fightful.com this week. We had more features than ever this weekend. I'm going to post a, an in case you missed it, video, uh, or not video, uh, thing tomorrow morning. Also, Vince Russo is back home. He will be back at work this week, I understand. So glad to see him back. Follow Showdown Joe at Showdown Joe. Follow me at Sean Ross Sapp. Follow us at Fightful Online. Just, you know, a website full of full of verified people. Matt Riddle, Vince Russo, Showdown Joe, Sean Ross Sapp. We all got the blue check marks. We're all awesome. We're all fancy. You know, it's, it's what it is. <laughs> Guys, until next time, we are out. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.